Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire. Robert Bucciolato has the week off. We've got a special guest, uh, one of the foremost experts in electoral history, electoral trends, uh, particularly in the state of Florida, uh, Dave Trotter. Uh, some of you know him from the political hurricane and his uh, work with us at the Florida Squeeze. Uh, Dave, uh, you're in Europe currently. Uh, how are you? Um, yeah, I'm in Athens right now. It's good to talk politics. It's been many years since I've delved into the subject, so it's good to you know talk about old times and talk about uh, political history. So looking forward to it. We are talking a little bit today about the evolution of politics uh, in what we used to call the I-4 corridor, what we've historically called the I-4 corridor, uh, Central Florida, basically the Tampa Bay area and the Orlando area, onward to Brevard and Volusia counties. Uh, on the East Coast. And Dave, uh, our podcast uh, has had several recurring themes in this, the first year we've recorded. One name comes up almost as often as any other. Obviously, the names that come up the most are like Claude Kirk and Ruben Askew and Bob Graham. But one name that's in the tier right below that is William Kramer. We've talked about him a few times on the show, and he was the, I would say, the godfather of... uh, of republicanism or, or, or GOP success in the state of Florida. And he was from Pinellas County. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we, when, if you were asked people about the historical context of the Republican party, uh, Bill Kramer is this person. He is the one that you kind of see the genesis uh, of the success of the Republican party. And yeah, I mean, when we talk about it, he and Kirk had this battle. And it, it and it wasn't subtle, and it, and I think back in the day, many people would probably think just because he was established that Bill Kramer would win that battle, but at the end he didn't. And I think that it's quite interesting how he has been forgotten about in history, even though he is kind of the point, the point man for the beginning of Republican politics in the state of Florida. So let's. Uh, in, in the podcast, we discussed that that Kirk Kramer feud earlier in the year. Another name came up in relation to it on the Kramer side. Another Pinellas County name, Jack Eckerd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, he obviously he was very popular just because of his business connections and whatnot. He had that name ID, um, and pretty much the Pinellas County Republicans at that time. And it pretty much has gone continuously till today, a kind of a, this moderate Republican mold. So one thing about Kramer, when we think about Republicanism and when it started, um, when Kramer got into Congress, which was um, mid-1950s, so 1954, 1955, he pretty much was of that Nixon mold, I would say. So – we didn't have the Barry Goldwater movement or anything like that. The right wing is, you know, part of the Republican Party. So it really was this kind of center, center right type of Republican. And that's what Kramer was. Eckerd was the same as well. And so they didn't rock the boat. And I think that this is a characteristic, especially geographically, when you look at Pinellas County in particular, that has been retained throughout the years. So moderate Republicanism has its roots in Pinellas County in the state of Florida. We talked about this uh, previously on the podcast with Robert that Pinellas County Republican was a very moderate Republican, 
pretty liberal on environmental issues. Also, significantly, when you contrast it with the, uh, the Democrats that defected and supported Claude Kirk uh, in 1966 and in 1970 and, and had supported uh, Carswell and, and, and uh, uh, supported those sorts of uh, Kirk-aligned um, candidates in the Republican Party, a very moderate party on race. So you had a lot of Northerners, you had a lot of people from Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, and, and the Midwest that were more liberal or more moderate on racial issues that brought their Republican affiliation and identification with them from up north, created a Republican party in a, in a monolithically conservative and democratic state and conservative on race, Jim Crow state, dominated by the Democrats, created a Republican party, which was then very moderate on racial issues. Guys like Kramer and Eckerd were much more moderate on racial issues than most Democrats in the state. Uh, they were to the left and most Democrats in the state on, on racial issues. Then suddenly, with Claude Kirk defeating Robert King High, an election we've talked about a lot in previous shows, uh, that begins to change and the Republican Party becomes the party of white resistance. Uh, and George Wallace, obviously, 1968 runs for president and gets a lot of those votes. Uh, talk about the split there between Pinellas County Republicans and then the type of Republicans we would see begin to um, build in the other counties in Central Florida. So it's interesting because I think when we talk about those early Republicans, we talk about, and you and I have talked about this before, the horseshoe of Florida, right? So we think about, you know, back in the days when Broward County was a Republican county, okay? We think of this kind of um, horseshoe, which, you know, you'd see a lot of moderates throughout that entire horseshoe, Um you know, going from Pinellas up to Orange and then down to to uh, South Florida. What you see, and, and even in Pinellas County, when we start getting into the 80s, we start getting into, um, or let's even say the 70s, when we have the ERA going on, when we have Roe v. Wade, we see a lot of Republicans at the state house and state senate level even being pro-choice, right? And 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 in places around Pinellas County. So being pro-choice, being more liberal on social issues wasn't necessarily a problem for people coming down or people who are Republicans. Now you can think of environmental issues with guys like Kurt Kaiser and Dennis Jones and uh, uh, Jack LaFala were all kind of, uh, in the case of Dennis Jones, ended up being very liberal on, on school vouchers, right? He was, uh, yeah. um, he was uh, as far to the left as most of the Democrats were. The teachers Union loved him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and this is a characteristic that I don't say is as strong as it was before today, but definitely you can kind of see that characteristic still in comparison to other Republicans in the state. Okay, and what's interesting is this dynamic really hasn't changed. And the geographic uh, split in the in the county hasn't changed if we're looking specifically at Pinellas. So, I mean, we have the Democratic South and the Republican North. And yes, uh, you know, a, a Democrat could slip in once in a while in the North and you know, vice versa in the South, you can have some switches, but for the most part, it's pretty much stayed the same. Now, you mentioned uh, 68, and then we could go on 
you know, with Nixon's Southern strategy and then go on to 72 and all that, you start seeing a different kind of Republican emerging out of Central Florida. And what I mean Central Florida, Orange County, Seminole County, Brevard County, I don't think that we can discard Brevard County. Yeah, and uh, actually we're talking about at this time. Want, want to jump in, sorry, uh, Dave, for a minute. Mm-hmm. Mention, I, I neglected to mention him earlier, Ed Gurney, uh, an ally of Claude Kirk's, an ally of Richard Nixon's. Uh, coming mm-hmm. out of Brevard County at that same time. Yeah, yeah who, who had an interesting leave from, <laughs> from his position. So, um, yeah, I, I, you do start seeing this. And he is very much of a different mold than, uh, than let's say, Bill Kramer or Lou Fry. Yep. Okay? Um, very much of a different mold. And you see this starting to coalesce in Central Florida in the Orange County area. And when we start getting into the 80s, we start seeing this coalesce, not just at the congressional level, but at the state level, because even in the 80s, we still had a state that was kind of a, it's voting Republican on the federal level, but at the state level, it's it's still voting Democratic, right? It, it still kind of had this ticket splitting thing. We started to see it erode in the 80s, but definitely in the 70s, there was this big split. There was this big difference. But then in the 80s, early and mid 80s, we start seeing social conservatives become part of the mold. We start seeing Dan Webster, who's now a congressman, as a member of the Florida House. A little later on, we start seeing people like Tom Feeney. We start people seeing people like Bruce McEwen. Um, we see people that are maybe a little bit more on the socially conservative and economically conservative spectrum of the Republican Party. And many times they would clash with people from Pinellas County. Yeah. This was kind of like a power struggle thing. So, yeah, so we do see that change in Central Florida. And the Reagan Revolution really kicks it off. And that's where we see the explosion. And also, I mean, we think of Republicans during this time, Paula Hawkins, right? Yeah, from Winter Park. I right. mean, so, exactly. So 1980, and although Paula Hawkins was a little more moderate than the other names you mentioned from that part yeah, of the state. Yeah, exactly, um, yes. But um, 19, the 1980s, I think the Orlando area became very much the epicenter of Reagan conservative republicanism in the state of Florida. and became uh, just this focal point, and, and you mentioned guys like Feeney and Webster, that, and uh, that guys like that that got their start in that period of time. You contrast that with Pinellas County. I even think about... Uh, the State House of Representatives, the late John Maroney, who passed away recently, I was a Pinellas County Commissioner before that, was a, uh, a member of the State House. Really good guy. I know you and I both liked him personally, but knew him personally. Uh, have a lot of time for had a lot of time for him. He was a Republican. He clashed with Dan Webster so much when Dan Webster was Speaker of the House, and Maroney was a, a member of the Republican Caucus, representing uh, Central Pinellas County, really in in the. Uh, in the state legislature that they moved his parking spot several times. They moved his office. Mm-hmm. They uh, stripped him of committee assignments. Uh, that was, to me, very indicative of the clash between Pinellas County Republicanism, a very moderate, kind of pro-environmental, soft on, on social issues type uh, Republicanism, and the hard-edged Reagan-era uh, conservatism that Dan Webster represented, which then manifested itself in all the... Uh, uh, the craziness of the anti-Clinton years when the Republican Party became this very uh, extreme party in opposition to Bill Clinton in the 1990s. And 
And what's interesting about that, so let's just go back. I'm just going to go a little bit back to the 80s. So we do see this conservative bubbling up in uh, Orange County, Seminole County, places like this. Okay, so we do see this hard conservatism uh, going. But and you're right. So when so it's this Reagan revolution republicanism that's happening in central Florida. And when the Republicans take over the House, when they take control of the House, who become who's in these leadership positions? It's the people from central Florida. Right. It's Dan Webster who becomes the speaker and other people. Tom Feeney eventually gets there. So we see. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, Tony Jennings, president of the Senate. So we see this. um we see the the center of power in the Republican Party is in central is in Orange County in particular, and you know maybe a little bit of Seminole and all that, but particularly Orange County. But around 1992, so at the same time the Republicans were starting to take control of the House and the Senate, you also start seeing the change of Orange County to becoming more Democratic, and at first it isn't necessarily because of demographic changes. It's maybe a change of uh, ideology, more people being moderate. Now, you do have more people coming in from other states, but it's not a racial demographic change like we see now. One of the components, though, uh, Dave, sorry to cut you off, but just want to throw this out here. Um, This is the reason, I mean, not much into college football these days, but um, why people who are fans of the University of Miami told me it was safer to play the University of Florida in Orlando than it was to play them in Tampa or in Jacksonville in 2019 was there has been a large migration of young professionals who are generally liberal people from Broward and, Dade and Palm Beach counties to Orange and Seminole and Osceola counties beginning in the mid-1990s. So that's not a racial, that's, that's not a racial shift, but it's a shift in terms of more, a more urbane type young professional that has um, that has invaded central well, I don't want to invade the long term right? <laughs> uh, migrated to central Florida yeah it, it, I mean and we really start seeing this I think the first uh, first crack that we see is when Kim Shepard uh, beats Bruce McEwen for the state house in 1992 and I think this is where we kind of start seeing uh Democrats can win here. Democrats can win in Central Florida. And uh, and all of a sudden, we just start seeing Democrats doing a little bit better. Now, Kim Shepard would eventually lose her seat to Alan Trevelyan. Mr. Winter Park. Yeah, exactly. So we see – and this is one thing I want to talk about too, how Winter Park had really changed. So Winter Park used to be this hotbed of – economic conservatism. I wouldn't necessarily say social conservatism. If you look at social conservatism, you look more at Windermere, the west side of Orange County, going into Lake County. That's where your social conservatives are, and they still are today for all intents and purposes. But you do see this shift. Alan Trevelyan won because, like you said, you know, Mr. Winter Park, of who he was. His name helped him win. But then, all of a sudden, you just start seeing Winter Park becoming more liberal and more liberal and you see democrats winning in these areas and we start seeing the white progressive change happening in 
the Winter Park area, but then around the area, we start seeing the demographic change with the high increase of uh, Puerto Rican voters and Dominican voters who are then electing Hispanic candidates. So we do see a total shift. And for me, it's kind of interesting because I come from uh, the southwest part of Orange County. So I come from where the Sand Lake Road, the Sand Lake Hills area. And I never thought when I was started politics in 1992 that the member of Congress, the state house and the state senator would be all Democratic. That just blows my mind nowadays. So it has shifted drastically. So on that uh, front, uh, you have a shift towards the Democrats there, but I want to go back across uh, to the West Coast, the northern part Mm -hmm. of Pinellas County and um, the southern part of Pasco County, Dave. In in 2000, uh, Bill Clinton, uh, excuse me, Al Gore won Pasco County. He won Pinellas County by a healthy margin. Then you began to see things shift to the point where uh, I think it shocked a lot of us on election night, but it was one of the first signs to to you and me as seasoned observers of Florida politics by 7.50 p.m. Eastern time that Hillary Clinton was in real trouble in the state of Florida when we saw precincts from Northern Pinellas come in and we saw the margins Donald Trump was carrying places like the countryside area uh, uh, near, uh, uh, and uh, Oldsmar and these areas, uh, the, the kind of margins, Tarpon Springs, that uh, were coming in against, um, against Hillary Clinton. That shift, and then you talk about Western Pasco County uh, also. Uh, talk a little bit about that shift uh, in the last 20 years from being competitive, maybe 50-50 in those parts, to being solidly Republican. Well, and it's kind of interesting, too, because right before that election, you had Carl Zimmerman winning a state house seat there. So it it was starting to look like it was switching over to the Democratic side, this North Pinellas, at least the North Pinellas area. But yes, back in the day, back in the early 90s, you had Deb Pruitt holding the seat, but then she no longer had it. And, 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 and this is the, I don't know if it's still a number, it's the traditional number 46 seat, the House District 46 that we always but had. But even after she lost it, Heather Fiorentino, who took the seat, uh, for the Republicans voted very moderately, you know, like a classic Pinellas County, even though this is Pasco, Pinellas County Republican because of the, the 50-50 nature of that seat or the, the, the kind of liberal Republican nature of that seat. Now you can't get any, any kind of moderate out of Pasco County. I mean, it's gone hard right. Yes, yes, it has. It, it, Pasco County has definitely gone hard right. And I think that what you have to see is the population increases that have happened in Pasco County. So we're not looking at state house seats, but just looking at Pasco County as a whole, we have to look at what's happening in the eastern part of the county, what's happening in Zephyr Hills, what's happening in Dade City, and the explosion of quite honestly, conservatives coming from up north to retire in those areas. So this is one of the things. So we could compare, I think, Pasco County to Volusia County here. So if we look at Pasco County, 20 years ago, 
Newport Ritchie, that was the center of attention. Newport Ritchie, you do well. Newport Ritchie, you can do well in the county. Now you have more people in the east who are more conservative. The power of Newport Ritchie has diluted. Same thing in Volusia. You could say Daytona Beach 30 years ago. Daytona Beach was where you wanted to win. But now with the expansion of conservative voters coming from the Orlando area, just going right over the river and going over to Borda, border then you're seeing daytona beach being diluted and i think you see very similar dynamics in both of these cases where people still traditionally think ah newport ritchie daytona beach but no they're not the big players in those counties anymore no they're not and let's let's talk about volusia i want to wrap up the show talking a little bit about volusia which was historically one of the more democratic counties in the state in fact some of you know my past life uh, who listened to the show as a Democratic political operative. When we, um, I was very involved in the 2000 recount. When we decided we needed to pick Democratic counties to try and prove deviation and, and uh, push for recounts, the decision was made, oh, obviously Dade Broward, Palm Beach, right? What was the fourth county we threw in there? It was Volusia, uh, because Volusia was that Democratic at the time. And I want to say Gore won Volusia by 14 points or so. And won it by a pretty healthy margin. I might be wrong about that, but, uh, but he won it by a, a substantial margin. Um, by the time 2016 rolls around, Volusia County has become heavily Republican. You mentioned crossing the St. John's River. Um, to me, a lot of symbolism uh, it comes from that I-4 bridge over the St. John's River, which was one of the most congested and most dangerous bridges in the country in the 1990s. And to me, that was uh, a metaphor for people moving north from the Orlando area, from Orange and Seminole County, and moving into southern Volusia. Now the bridge has been redone. John Micah got them the money. I think Corinne Brown actually helped too. But they got the money. That's, uh, that I-4 bridge is now eight lanes over the St. John's River between Sanford and, and DeBarry. But the other side of Sanford, Sanford's very democratic in Seminole County. The other side of the river from Sanford has now become a Republican bastion. Uh, tilting Volusia County irrevocably towards the GOP. Talk a little bit about the evolution of, uh, of that county, because that actually, uh, Volusia County was a county that also produced not only Democratic margins, but a lot of the Democratic legislative leaders in both the House and the Senate, the likes of Sam Bell, T.K. Weatherall, Hyatt Brown, and others, came from Volusia County. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and again, it's this case is a little bit different, I think, from Pasco County. So Pasco County, you saw a lot of people come in from the north. I mean, you're seeing not just the expansion of Pasco County, but we're also seeing the expansion of Sumter County, parts of Lake County. So you're just having... Yeah, exactly. So you're just seeing more people move there from other parts of the United States. It's just a conservative place to live. That's where they go. But what we have going on in Orange or in Volusia and Seminole County, it's not a coincidence that as Volusia County becomes more Republican, Seminole County is becoming more Democratic. That is not a coincidence. That is because we are seeing this population shift go from Altamont Springs, the Wakiva Springs area, Longwood, and places like that further north. So a lot of people, and I know many people who used to live in Longwood 
and now live in Deltona or they live in Flagler County. Okay, so they have pushed over the river and have gone that way. And now Deltona, the land, these are the center. This is this is the political power base of Volusia County. So in this case, it's not people coming in from other states. It's people who have always been in Florida or specifically in Seminole County, who are now just going to another county. And many of these people are 55 and older, okay? So they're going to be more conservative in their um, in their voting. Many of them, if they were living in Seminole County, probably had a decent income, so they were usually more fiscally conservative. Uh, this is why you're seeing the change. And again, as Seminole goes more Democratic – it will probably uh, – my projection – and this isn't scientific. This is just based off of just kind of looking at it at face value. Seminole County could trip over to the Democratic side uh, in the 2020 election yeah. and maybe by a good 5 or 6 percent. But Volusia County will also see maybe a switch the other way, and it's because of this population shift that we're seeing. Yeah, and, and I think the thing that Democrats often miss when they analyze this stuff is the – the shift, the further shift towards the conservatives or towards the Republicans in the ex-urban counties and, and, the, uh, and the counties which are not metropolitan counties but aren't exactly small counties either, the Pascos, the Volusias, the Sumters, uh, the Marians, uh, the Lee counties with, with Fort Myers and Cape Coral. Uh, last thing before conclude, Dave, I want to ask you about Hillsborough County because what we've seen uh, in Hillsborough County is an evolution from a very kind of southern um, – conservative uh, Democrat with a mixture of ethnic Italian. Uh, there's a lot of Italian-Americans. Tampa also, uh, we're going to talk about this on a future show, real, uh, hopefully real soon. Tampa, uh, is, Tampa's politics was one of the most mob influence, mafia influence in the country. And I, I don't know if a lot of people realize that, but um, there, there has been a very active mafia presence in Tampa for many years. So you had kind of the ethnic elements uh, with the mafia, with Italian Americans, with some uh, Irish Americans, etc., that you have in northern cities, but then you had this very kind of southern, quite frankly, racist uh, Sumter Lowry type Democrats that came out of the Tampa area. Um, you had in Sam Gibbons, um, a leader in the National Democratic Party, very liberal New Deal type Democrat. Um, but what eventually happened is uh, urban Tampa got squeezed by suburban Hillsborough County, which became more and more, has become more and more Republican through the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that, I mean, so this is also, I think, now I don't know, I don't have the demographics of it, so I can't say with as much confidence as I can with, with Volusia County. This could be a pushing of the, you know, people from, let's say, uh, Dave City and Zephyr Hills and Land Lakes down to um, Hillsborough County, or it could just be more people coming in. But northern Hillsborough County has definitely become more conservative. But what's interesting is then in and around Tampa, with the exception of some a few places, we're really seeing kind of a moderation also in yeah. some parts. And if we look – and on election day, 
more than Pinellas County, more than any other county. I always look at Hillsborough County to be my bellwether county. I usually say how that county goes, goes the presidential election. Now, that didn't happen last time. Actually, in that case, the bellwether county was Pinellas, oddly enough. Well, and I think Hillsborough we- has always had the reputation of being the county that determines uh, who wins Florida. The lone exception being in 2000, when in reality, we know Al Gore actually got more votes in the state of Florida and there was hanky panky. So that was the kind of the exception, uh, even in governor's races. So even though the Democrats are winning uh, Hillsborough, uh, Hillsborough County now in, in governor's races, we see the Democratic percentages cut um, in terms of their, their margin of victory cut. So Hillsborough is still important as a, uh, a, as a bellwether, but maybe not who wins and loses Hillsborough anymore, but the margins in Hillsborough. Yeah, it, well, exactly. And this goes back to what I said earlier about, yes, Hillsborough is significant. Hillsborough is big, but its influence on the overall electorate in the state of Florida is being offset by increases in Lake County, increases in Sumter, increases in Pasco, Hernando, maybe Citrus, okay, Volusia County, okay, So there is a tendency to forget about these areas of population explosion that is benefiting the Republicans and the conservative movement that people still just look at, oh, we win Hillsborough County, we'll do well. No, the state is starting – I mean it's already a spread out state as it is, but it's even becoming more spread out. And to sit there and say – one can target here, one can target there and win an election. I don't think that's the case anymore. You can't just say, let's run a bunch of commercials in the I-4 corridor and we'll do fine. No, you really have to have a pure statewide strategy in order to win in the state of Florida today. Something you didn't need to have you know, 30, 40 years ago, especially when South Florida was really competitive, you could put a lot of effort into South Florida and that would be fine. But it has changed. Yeah, and I think we've seen the percentages uh, of, of the state's population that are centered around large urban areas uh, not necessarily increase versus some of the outlying areas, uh, especially if you consider the outlying areas of Tampa and Orlando and Jacksonville really voting more like exurban areas than like core urban areas. So, Dave, this is a great discussion. We're, we're going to leave it here, but I uh, would love to do this again soon. Maybe pick your brain on another part of the state and some of the historical trends uh, there or, or some other historical figures in, uh, in, in Florida politics. There's always an open invitation for you. Awesome. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Dave. And you can fly the Florida History Podcast wherever you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Radio Public, Breaker, et cetera, et cetera. So thank you once again for listening.